Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Hope all of our listeners are having a wonderful Hanukkah so far. You know, when um, we schedule different guests on this show, a lot of times I'm not sure how it fits into, you know, holidays or what's going on with events. And this week, actually, I didn't think that our guests were connected to Hanukkah. And then I realized, actually, they're both in their own way really connected to Hanukkah. So either it's Hashem's guiding hand or my ability to make connections for things that aren't so related, maybe a combination of both. Um, we have a, uh, a Yeshiva University student joining us today. His name is Yaakov Feldstein, um, and he, I believe, is an undergrad at YU right now. And he won a songwriting contest for the worldwide flash mob called Dance for Kindness. Now, Dance for Kindness um, is run by an organization called LifeFest. I hadn't heard of them before, but I did see a viral video they made a few years back. It was called The Kindness, Kindness Boomerang, and it was set to Matis Yahoo's One Day. And it was basically a video of people paying kindness forward. Like one person had one kind thing happen to them, they got up and they did something kind to the next person you know, that they saw. The uh, video got over 22 million views, and they have almost 65,000 YouTube subscribers. It was really you know, the, the thing that put them on the map. And they just ran this contest called Dance for Kindness. And um, I guess our Hanukkah connection is that Yaakov's song, that one, is called More Light, and we are now in the Festival of Lights. So anyway, Yaakov, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. And happy Hanukkah to you. Thank you very much. Happy Hanukkah to you and your listeners. So if you could give us a little bit of background here. Well, first, um, tell us a little about where you were before you got to this contest, a little bit about your Jewish background growing up, where you come from, how you got into music. Okay, sure. Um, I live in Queens uh, in an Orthodox home. Um, I grew up in Queens. I went to DRS for high school. Um, I went to Yeshiva Chalazim in Israel for two years. And now I'm in Yeshiva University, like you said. I am an undergraduate student there. I'm a junior, uh, majoring in finance. And music has always been a part of my life. I've been playing music since I was seven and writing music since I was 14. Uh, and it, it's definitely um, definitely something very important to me on a lot of different levels. It's something I spend 100% of my spare time doing. It's... Uh, you know, writing songs is, is something I do to uh, document emotions or things that happen to me. It's how I connect with myself, with other people, with God. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely a very big part of my life. When you say playing music, what kind of instrument are we referring to? So I started on piano. Uh, I was playing piano since I was seven. I had lessons back then, and over the years that evolved into other instruments. At this point, I primarily play piano and guitar, uh, but I, uh, I guess you can say I dabble on a few other things, uh, but primarily piano and guitar. Got it. And so when did Dance for Kindness happen? Like, how did you hear about it? What made you... Did you write this song, More Light, specifically for this contest, Dance for Kindness, or had you been working on it already, or...? Okay, so that's a good question. Um, basically, More Light is a song that I actually wrote completely independent from the, uh, from the organization and uh, the competition. Uh, basically, it's just a song I wrote because I was inspired by, uh, by watching uh, a lot of the people that I get to work with in a number of different chesed organizations. 
put their their individual talents and abilities to good use and and doing chesed and making a positive impact uh, on the world. I, I work with Camp Hask and Yachad and Music Verse and High Lifeline. Wait, so now for people that aren't are, familiar uh, with these organizations, if you could just give us a quick, uh, sure. you know, background on each one. Sure. Uh, Camp Hask is a summer program where uh, over 350 uh, children and adults with uh, physical or intellectual disabilities go for a seven-and-a-half-week uh, summer program where they get full care in a number of different ways. They get therapeutic care, they get academic care, they get nutritional and recreational and medical care, and it's it's really an unbelievable place, and I'm honored and fortunate to have the opportunity to have worked there for the last three summers, um, and it's really an incredible place. They say, uh, they, they call it heaven on earth, and uh, I can tell you that's, uh, that's true. Miracles happen there every day. Um, I've seen people walk for the first time, I've seen people swim for the first time, go on the swings for the first time. It's, uh, it's really fascinating and incredible. Um, Yachad is similar in that it also, uh, it also helps children and adults with special needs, uh, but in a little bit of a different way. They, they, their mission is to facilitate inclusion uh, throughout, uh, throughout these people's lives, and that includes uh, through Shabbatons and through summer programs and, and uh, providing work opportunities and pretty much explaining to the world that people with special needs are no different than uh, typical people and uh, there's no reason that they should be treated differently. Um, so that's also an unbelievable organization that I'm fortunate enough to work with. Um, High Lifeline is uh, an organization that helps uh, that helps People with terminal illnesses, including cancer, they have uh, Camp Simcha, and they have, which is a camp where um, where most of their campers have cancer and other illnesses, where they can really have an unbelievable time over there. Um, and throughout the year, also they have programming, so I volunteer for them a little bit. And what was the other one? Music Verse uh, is an organization started by a friend of mine, actually in YU, but it's grown to be. Um, all over the U.S., and we actually have a few branches internationally also, that we pretty much aim to uh, bridge the gap between, um, I guess, languages and ages uh, through music by going to hospitals and visiting uh, visiting the sick or the elderly uh, and playing music for them and interacting with them through music. Because sometimes when you go visit, uh, people you've never met, things are a little bit awkward and uncomfortable and you're not really sure what to do. But if you come in playing music, it's fascinating how you watch music really be an international language uh, and intergenerational language. And, and everything is just uh, significantly more comfortable if you come in playing a song from their childhood or any other music that you can share uh, through this uh, language of connection between people. Uh, it's really unbelievable, and you can really create lasting uh, relationships through that and accomplish amazing things. So, so I'm, I'm very Music First organization to seems to this seems to marry your two uh, passions, uh, sort of helping others and uh, music. So that's really a beautiful thing. So you told us how you got started in music. Um, what about Chesed? I mean, it seems like your plate is just overflowing with helping others. 
what what kind of influenced you to spend your life dedicating so much time to helping those, you know, in less uh, fortunate positions? Well, it's definitely something that I find personally rewarding, and yeah, you can say personally rewarding in in that, um, you know, it, the the feeling that that somebody has when they help somebody else is is unbelievable and and not able to be matched by anything else. So I got involved just by hearing about uh, friends who have done, who have been involved in these organizations and, and um, identifying with their missions and what exactly they do. And it was just totally up my alley because I love doing things like that. I, I uh, love doing things for other people. And it's, uh, it's also a big part of my life. Between music and chesed, <laughs> those are two, two of my favorite things to do. So uh, over the years, I got involved with uh, these organizations to try to uh, to try to make a positive impact and to help other people. You know, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with our mission here at Jew in the City, but we're all about breaking down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews and sure. showcasing sure. the positive stories that people yeah. haven't seen before. Um, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of people see the negative headlines about Orthodox Jews getting arrested and, you know, abusing and doing dishonest things. And so infrequently do we have headlines about people dedicating their life to kindness. Would you say your Jewish background and your Jewish education and your Jewish observance kind of helped um, push you towards a life of giving in chesed? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, because chesed is something that is is definitely a Jewish value, obviously. Yeah. But it's also something that's, that's also an international value, which is why the song that I wrote, uh, More Light, was, happened to be perfect for this organization, so for Life Est Inside. Um, because, like I mentioned, I didn't write the song for the contest itself, uh, but when I heard about the contest, um, I saw what kind of song they were looking for, and I was literally about to release more light that week. I had already recorded it and produced it, and it was ready to go, and it was just ready to be released as my next single. And I saw the competition, and I slammed on I slammed on the brakes, and I'm like, "Whoa! This is more light is exactly the kind of song they're looking for. They're looking for something that promotes a positive message of doing kindness for other people, of uh, making a positive impact on the world, and it should be fast and danceable and and a feel good motivational song. And that's exactly what I had ready. So basically, what I did was I submitted it, which I didn't think I was going to take it seriously. Uh, I just figured I would put it in, and whatever happens, happens. We'll we'll see how this goes. And a few weeks later, I found out that I won. Wow. So um, that's really awesome. Do you know how many people um, submitted entries alongside you? or? I don't know exactly how many people uh, submitted, but I do know that the competition was, o- was open to songwriters all over the world, mm-hmm. and it got narrowed down uh, after everybody submitted. It got narrowed down to a final 10. Mm-hmm. And then the final 10 was open for voting. So voting was open for about a week, a week and a half or so. And the amount of support that I saw from people all over the, all over the world, people I knew, people I didn't know, uh, friends, strangers, Jewish people, not Jewish people, but it was, it was tremendous to see the support and the unity from, uh, from a lot of the Jewish community, uh, from people literally all over the world. That word just spread like wildfire, and people understood that this would be 
a big opportunity to make a Kiddush Hashem if it was won by uh, by a young from uh, songwriter. Um, and they saw the, the value and the power in the song and in the opportunity itself. And it was really tremendous and flattering and unbelievable to watch this unfold. Did you try to, like sort of muster up votes, or did the votes kind of come together on their own? I'm saying you put it out on social media, and then people just started sharing it on their own? Well, it definitely took uh, a bit of effort on my end. There was yeah. definitely social media action uh, going on. But at first I figured that, you know, I, I would keep it to a minimum. I'll see what happens, you know. Uh, I don't really know how, how it's going to play out, but we'll see what happens. And then uh, the momentum just built, and more and more people got excited, and more and more people were sharing it and, and spreading the word. And, um, it was really unbelievable. And what does it mean to win this award? Like, once they chose your song as the, um, what's it called? What, I'm saying what was the Dance for Kindness um, theme song. Is that what you were sort of, uh, you yeah. know? So, so basically... Right. So basically what happened was a few weeks ago on November 8th, um, it was a Sunday, tens of thousands of people in over 100 cities in 50 different countries were all dancing to my song, uh, which was crazy. And it was all uh, all in the name of pr- promoting kindness and unity because that's what, uh, that's what Life Fest Inside uh, aims to do. So this was like, uh, I guess, an awareness, um, stunt, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and it was really just showing that so many people in so many different walks of life can be uh, can be unified by dancing to one song with one single choreography, uh, and and you know show the world the positive message that's being promoted. Um, and is there so a place that we'll be able to see this online? It will, is, was the video, was the people dancing filmed that we could watch this somewhere? Yes, definitely. So currently online, there are some of the videos, many of them from uh, from cities and countries I've actually never even heard of, which was which was unbelievable to watch so many different people. Uh, and you watch a video and you hear my voice and you hear my song playing, which is crazy. Uh, I can tell you that the video from New York, uh, we did it in Times Square, where I, I actually performed the song live. Uh, the video from that will uh, be going up online in the near future. Um, and in a couple months, they're going to be putting together one single uh, montage of all the different locations. So you're going to be able to watch the video, and it'll show you footage from from all over 100 cities, and it'll tell you in the corner what city and country you're watching, and it's all one song and one choreography, and uh, it's it's amazing. And this will be able to see this on lifevest.com? Uh, lifevestinside.com. The organization oh, life is called Lifevest Inside. Okay. Excellent. And uh, it'll also be on YouTube. It'll be around. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and we wish you a very happy Hanukkah and uh, continued success on bringing more light and chesed and music to the world. Amen. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. Have a happy Hanukkah. You too.
And up next, we have another person who was adding light to the world. Yaakov Veldstein is kind of helping organizations, people that sort of have ongoing trouble and giving them assistance. But our next guest, Tzvi Gluck, is the guy you go to when there's a crisis, when there's no one else to turn, um, when there's even other organizations that don't even deal with these problems. Uh, his organization, Amudim, is the place that people go. Tzvi, thank you so much for joining us today on Doing the City Speaks. Please, good morning. My pleasure, Allison. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. So, you know, what, a lot of what we do here at Jew in the City is showing the positive side of the from community. Often the bad headlines are what people associate with us. Um, but, you know, you're someone who grew up in a household filled with chesed, helping people, you know, in every situation. Can you give us a little bit of an idea of how you grew up that, you know, kind of gave you this interest or this passion to be the go-to guy when there's trouble in the Jewish community? Um, sure. So my father is uh, known affectionately as Rabbi Edgar Gluck, or Rabbi Chaim Baruch Gluck, who has been, I guess, what people would call an Askin for over 50 years before that word even existed in the Jewish dictionary. Um, my mother, Frady Gluck, has been involved in public service through Bicker Cholim, sitting on boards of hospitals, and many other community functions. And I grew up surrounded by people that lived for others. My father is one of the founding members of Hatzalah, uh, one of the people that orchestrated the New York State autopsy law, where people can object to having an autopsy on a loved one for religious reasons. Mm. Um, one of his great accomplishments we always talk about is coming up with the idea for the Mincha area on the side of the thruway heading up to the mountains on a Thursday afternoon. Mm where people were pulling over to Davin on the side of the road, creating potential risks and dangers. Mm -hmm. And he saw a problem, found a solution. So that's what I grew up with, with people that found solutions to problems by whatever they may be. Mm -hmm. And so when did, your, when did you get involved in this yourself? You're kind of watching your parents do their work. At what age did you say, I'm now ready to start making some changes in the world? So I got to be honest, growing up, a big part of me was not always thrilled with what I saw at home, I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. um, I felt that I wanted more of a quiet family life. Sure. But when I was 19 years old, uh, I had two incidents that occurred back to back. One was a good friend of mine who died in a car accident while he was high on drugs. Right. And the second one was a friend of mine who had committed suicide with a suicide note um, mm. with a drug overdose. Mm. So at that point, I decided I would like to uh, get involved, and I started getting involved more on the drug addiction side of things. Hmm. I started volunteering for an organization in Brooklyn called Our Place, and I just tried to help people that were suffering from addiction. Hmm. I didn't realize so, that uh, these stories were so personal to you. That that's the. I mean, it makes sense. A lot of times when we get involved with a mission, it's because it was something that affected us in a big way. So you were with Our Place for a bunch of years. When and how and why was Amudim launched? So <clears throat> I was with Our Place for many years, and I've helped many other organizations as well. Mm -hmm. And my heart is still with them. About a little bit under two years ago, um, actually, let me go backwards. About five years ago, I noticed that a big portion of the drug addicts that we were dealing with and the alcoholics were people that were doing so because of the trauma they endured because they were sexually abused and molested when they were younger. Mm. And there really weren't that many resources at that point in the firm community 
for people that were abused to get help. So mm-hmm. I started individually working with people one by one. Mm-hmm. About two years ago, <clears throat> a few of the donors that I had with some of the other programs I was part of were sitting with me and basically said, it's very nice that you're a guy that's working out of your car and helping people, but if you want to be effective in the world, you really got to step it up a notch and be able to have the resources at your fingertips to truly provide services and no longer be a one-man show. Mm -hmm. There was also the other issue that they brought up, which was, it's very nice that you're helping people, but if you can train others to do the same thing, your reach for clients role will be that much greater. So that was when we decided collectively to uh, found Amudim. And what are, I mean, I a little bit laid out what you do, kind of what are the basic services that you provide, what's your mission statement? Um, so Amudim really is an organization that provides crisis intervention and comprehensive case management with a primary focus on victims of sexual abuse and people suffering from addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, we deal with other various emergencies and community problems, but that's really the focus of where we are right now, and it's a little bit unique. We're not clinicians. We're not actually providing the therapy. Mm-hmm. Our case managers are more holding the hands of people that need help, mm-hmm. finding them the right therapists, partnering with other organizations and agencies mm-hmm. such as Relief. And then we go the next step, which is where we'll get the families involved. We'll get them to understand what's going on so that we'll use a classic example. If somebody goes to rehab but the family doesn't understand what it means to live with an addict, when the person comes out of rehab, many times they fall back because the support structure isn't what it should be. Mm -hmm. So we'll step in and try to create that extra level of support from within their own family and community. And then we expanded a little bit more recently uh, by doing some awareness programming and getting other organizations affiliated and doing trainings with Rabbanim, where we're trying to explain what abuse and addiction really means. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to take it up to the next level right now. Mm-hmm. What do you think? How, I saw an article that uh, you were interviewed in recently. You think that we are making headway. Uh, I saw an art show, you're making we're making headway in terms of how our community is dealing with abuse. In what ways do you think we're doing better now than we were a few decades ago? So, first of all, in our community, you can already say the word sexual abuse, whereas decades ago, you really couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, we're also having a lot more people that are trained A lot more therapists are doing specialty training to understand abuse and addiction. A lot more Rabbanim that are starting to wake up to the realities of it. And where people are finally able to reach out for help, whereas years ago they couldn't. Mm -hmm. I will say we're still very far away from where we need to be, Mm -hmm. but we're definitely light years ahead of where we were. What do you think, what challenges, what are the biggest challenges that remain, you think, in terms of being where we'd want to ideally be? So the biggest challenge, which I don't have the answer to, is whenever a family is dealing with abuse, they're always worried about how will this affect our standing in the community. Mm -hmm. If people know that my family member was abused, will they ever be able to get a shidduch? Will their siblings be able to get a shidduch? Mm -hmm. Will we be able to go to shul? Mm -hmm. Many times, unfortunately, uh, people that talk about abuse, they get ostracized. So Mm -hmm. now people are worried. If I talk about it, what's what's the downside? Maybe I should keep quiet. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and that doesn't allow them to get the help that they need. Yeah. So part of what we're trying to accomplish is bringing awareness in a healthy setting. Mm-hmm. What about on the drug front? Are we making progress there? Or are we still way behind in terms of where we should be? So we made tremendous progress there. I mean, tremendous. You know, when I first got involved in the drug part, it was it was impossible to ask for any help in that field. Now, Baruch Hashem, every major community has either an organization or an agency that deals with addiction. Um, people are dealing with it head-on. They're no longer trying to hide it, uh, you know, as much as they were. We're definitely doing a lot better in that field than we were when I first got involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's thanks to the people before me who really gave their life and soul for this for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, many, many years. Does anyone have a sense of kind of how the numbers in the from community in terms of drug addiction or alcoholism or abuse compared to the rest of the world? Is that something that anyone's tried to measure, or it's just too hard to say? So we've tried to measure it. Again, we still live in a secret society. The from world does still like to keep to itself. It is very hard to get real numbers on addiction or sexual abuse or any of these problems because we only know the numbers of those reaching out for help. We know there are plenty more that don't. Mm-hmm. Um, we've spoken to Dr. Yitzi Schachter from the ARC Institute, who has been working heavily over the last few years to create real data, mm-hmm. and it seems that we're pretty much equal across the board with the same problems in society as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, our percentage-wise, we're pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. That's what it seems like, but it's, it's hard to give you a definite answer. So it's interesting, the last guest that we had on, he spends his life volunteering at Hask and Camp Simcha, and um, it, it seems there are certain issues or quote-unquote problems in the from community that um, people aren't ashamed of or they're not. It's okay to, you know, have some sort of de- developmental disability in the family or someone's sick, something like that. Everyone is running to be involved with these sorts of things. And I guess in the abuse and the drug addiction spheres, there's still more shame, uh, you know, existing. But I guess ideally what we'd want to happen would be for people to see these sorts of problems as just another type of way that a person might need help and have involvement. Is that Does that make sense? Like kind of my uh, hypothesis, that might be a way to help people come out of the hiding? I mean, I guess so, but I also respectfully disagree with your statement as far... Well, let me rephrase that. I agree with your statement, but let's look back 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. People could not talk about kids with cancer. Mm-hmm. It was the machla. You couldn't say the word cancer. Mm-hmm. People were scared that if anyone knew a child in my family has cancer, no one else will get married. Mm-hmm. People that had developmentally dis- developmental disabilities years ago were not so open to going to programs and to being open about it. Mm-hmm. And it was trailblazers that created it to where it is today, where you have, whether it's Hask, Mishkan, High Lifeline, Kids of Courage, amazing organizations that people are no longer embarrassed about those ailments, and that's what we're trying to accomplish in the field of sexual abuse and in addiction. Mm-hmm. So, so that's actually very helpful, right? I'm saying, like, if we saw, because, meaning I wasn't really in the from community before 20 years ago, so now my understanding is that these being involved these organizations is like you know such a, a a point of pride and people talk about it all the time so that really like what a hopeful idea that we were so far behind a couple decades ago and it's gone to this point so god willing we can really get to this point with the issues that that your organization is working on and 
God willing, in another couple decades, um, you know, we'll we'll have that same uh, level of uh, of people not feeling shameful and people being able to get the help they need and get involved to do the help they need. Is there any way that our listeners can get involved with your organization? Um, absolutely. They can go to our website, which is www.amudim.org, A-M-U-D-I-M.org. And, uh, you know, any way that people want to get involved to help, you know, we're always looking. Um, if I have a moment just for one quick story. Yep. Um, about a few weeks ago, I was actually in a little bit of a down state. We unfortunately had a bunch of overdoses uh, within our community over the last few weeks. Uh, five alone within a 10-day period, to be exact, of people under the age of 31. And I was really getting depressed by it, saying, you know, where are we heading with all this? And I was at an event, and uh, David Lichtenstein, David Lichtenstein from the Lightstone Group, said the following story. And this story gave me a renewed energy, and I'll share that here as well, because it's, it's tremendous. Many, many years ago, there was a fellow by the name of Rabbi Eckstein who lost five children, I believe, to a genetic disease called Tay-Sachs. And after this happened, he decided he was going to do something about it, and he founded an organization called Darya Sharim, mm-hmm. which is an organization that started genetic testing on boys and girls in the Orthodox Jewish community, primarily from the uh, you know European descent. And through a numbering system, they had decided people that where carriers would not be able to marry each other. And two years ago, there was an event at a hospital in Brooklyn, which was the only hospital uh, in this area that had what's called a Tay-Sachs ward. And there was a two-year waiting list just to get kids into this ward. And the hospital actually reached out to Rabbi Eckstein to come to a ceremony where they closed that ward for good because Tay-Sex had been pretty much eradicated from our community based on his work. Amazing. And after hearing that story, it showed me that there is hope in what we're doing, and we just have to keep doing our fight and hope that we can eradicate, <clears throat> or at the very least, severely minimize these issues that we're dealing with. Amazing. Well, Tzvi, keep spreading your light. Um, please, I should have a, a Freilich in Hanukkah, and uh, thank you much for joining us today. No, please, thank you for having me, and and thank you for all the wonderful work that you and your organization does as well. Thank you. Wow, I never you never exactly know what you're going to get when you bring people on, and it really, for me, was such a surprise that uh, these, you know, uh, issues that Yaakov spoke about, cancer and de- developmental disabilities, uh, was 20 years ago where Tzvi's issues, uh, addiction and... Um, abuse are today, and God willing, uh, we'll see even more growth and people being helped in the coming years. Thanks so much for joining us. You can catch us here same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.